Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. You look nervous. I'm in a glass case of emotion! Slowly let go of me, I think you're brutal my neck me. That is why the warriors have come! I'll be back to have vengeance! Throw me a freaking bone here! Martini, shaken, not stirred. The force will be with you always. Avengers, assemble in the red corner. Standing six foot two inches tall, weighing in at 245 pounds. Is the eclectic collective. Welcome, fans. Welcome today. We have a very special interview in store for you today. And without further ado, I'm going to give it over to Matt. Matt's going to take us in and make the introductions. Hey, Eclectic fans. Uh, we are here with everyone's favorite TV doctor from Studio City and Karate <laughs> Kid 3's bad boy, Mike Barnes, Sean Kanan. Sean, thank you so much for joining us, man. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for doing this. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's safe. You guys are good. Yeah, we're oh, doing good. Yeah, yeah. We're doing. None of you look like you're starving. No, we're not starving <laughs> at all. No. Not at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. Not a little bit. <laughs> Probably uh, so even too way, much right the, now. The way this is going to happen, uh, everybody out there watching right now, ask any questions you have. We got permission from Sean that nothing's off the table. Let's not TMZ <laughs> this, though. All right, let's uh, let's stay fans. Let's stay true. Let's uh, let's have some fun today. Any questions you have, Brian or Micah is going to uh, read them off to Sean, and he will answer anything. Uh, again, Sean, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it over to Micah. He's going to lead us in through topic to topic. So go ahead, Micah. All right, Sean. So thank you again for joining our show. Um, I had a couple questions. First, I wanted to start. What was it like going from the Karate Kid like movies into going into soap operas? Um, you know, I, I kind of did my career backwards. Um, most people start off doing some theater, then they go into doing, you know, some television and then big movies. I decided to go into a big movie first. <laughs> and then, you know, um, you know it, it's really different. Uh, when you're shooting a movie, generally speaking, you're going to shoot about eight pages a day. You have a lot of time to do it, multiple camera setups. When you're doing a soap opera, uh, you're, you're doing one and a half shows a day. It moves extremely quickly. Um, not unusual for most of the actors to have to learn 25, 35 pages of dialogue a day. Uh, you know, one or two takes. So it's, it's a very different process. So when you're doing a soap opera, does it, <clears throat> you shoot more than one episode in a day? Yeah, we do what's called banking episodes because the show is on five days a week, generally speaking. So if you turn uh, any of the soap operas on Christmas Day, you're going to have a show. Uh, and the reason is that throughout the year, you do about a show and a half a day so that it banks the extra ones. Um, I always thought it was done the day before for the next day. 
<laughs> no, no, we usually about, about two weeks before. You know, they have to edit it. They have to lay the music in. There's a lot of on once we finish shooting to prep the show for, for being uh, put out over the air. Oh, that is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Oh, we have so, a uh, – we, there's a question that popped up. Um, somebody asked, you graduated from uh, UCLA with a degree in political science. Is that something you always had a passion for, uh, politics, or, uh, or what was your experience like at UCLA? I am kind of a self-proclaimed political junkie. Uh, um, you know, early on, look, when you, when you tell your parents that you want to actor, it's tantamount to saying, I want to run away and join the circus. And wisely, my parents said, look, you know, that's great. We'll support you, but you need to do something that gives you somewhat of a plan B. Now, I've always been the kind of guy who thinks that it's better not to have a plan B, you know, because that way, you know, it's burn your boats. It's like what uh, Cortez, was it Cortez did when he uh, came to the new world. But uh, <laughs> if, if, you know, if the acting didn't work out, I would maybe go to law school um, I think I think at that point I wasn't really interested in politics so much, but political science seemed like a good uh, graduate degree for maybe going to uh, to law school. Uh, I have to ask. A, I got a, a question. I see that you were a part of two different soap operas, but of the same character. Correct. How? Okay. Um, Honestly, I have seen maybe one soap opera episode in my entire life, and that was forced by a relationship I was in. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> taking the same character into two different soap operas, like isn't that? Or, was it on the same network, or was there like a deal where they bought the character? So I played Deacon Sharp, a uh, character that originated on The Bold and the Beautiful. And then and later went over to The Young and the Restless. Both are shows that are on CBS. We, we kind of consider ourselves sister shows. And, you know, it, it was kind of an honor because it's a, it's a very, very short list of characters in daytime who have played the same character on two shows. Uh, there's maybe, I don't know, probably 10 maybe over the years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, Bold and Beautiful is a really interesting show. It's the it, number one most syndicated show in the world. It's in the Guinness World Book of Records. It's in 110 different countries. Uh, but I think it's like the number four or three show here in the United States. The United States only comprises a small part of, of the, the worldwide viewership. But The Young and the Restless is the number one show in the United States. So it was very exciting for me to be able to pack my bags, get sent over to YNR, which which really is right across the hall because they both shoot at CBS okay. uh, in Tel City in Los Angeles. And literally, they're across the hall. Like when we're going to lunch, you wave hi to all the YNR people because their uh, their soundstage faces faces the soundstage for B&B. But it was really great because, you know, I, I had an opportunity to work with a lot of actors that I knew personally but had never worked with. And, and bring this character that I love and that the, the fans love to uh, a different audience. Did you win any uh, soap opera awards or anything like Did that? A couple of awards, yes. Um, a lot of nominations. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it, I, I've been doing uh, daytime off and on since about 1992. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's been a, it's, it's been a great experience. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I created uh, Studio City. Uh, you know, it's sort of a love letter to the soaps. Um, right now, Studio City has been nominated for, uh, I think, 19 awards so far. We've got 12 nominations for nice. the Nice. That's amazing. 
Yeah, uh, seven nominations, pre-nominations for the daytime Emmys, and the voting is going on right now. So we're waiting to find out uh, middle of next month if uh, if the show's nominated for any of the Emmys. So it's just kind of an exciting time right now. That's awesome. I I heard I'd like I've read somewhere that. Uh, soap opera acting can be one of the most intimidating uh, in the Hollywood scene. Would you say that's true, or would you say that it's uh, a more family-oriented since, you know, you're only working with a small cast. You're not working with as big of a cast as other shows. How would you uh, How would you say, would you say it's an intimi- uh, intimidating scene or a comforting scene for you? Well, I, I think it's a very pressurized uh, medium, because like I said, you're turning out a show and a half every day. Um, you know, when you're doing theater, for instance, you have the luxury of rehearsing for five or six weeks, and uh, you know, you, once the curtain goes up, that's it. You know, it's it's up to you, and 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 the show unfolds chronologically from beginning to end. When you're doing a soap opera or film or any television for that matter, you're shooting completely out of order based on locations. Um, the, the difficult thing about uh, acting in, in daytime television is that you know there's just such voluminous amounts of dialogue. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, you know, you can be a really good actor, and if you don't have the facility to to memorize large amounts of dialogue very quickly, you're, you're just not going to last. And that can be very daunting, especially if you're a, a younger actor starting out. Because I was equated to kind of kind of like going to the gym. You know, the more you lift weights, the stronger the muscle gets, yeah, right? that makes sense. Right. So the more you learn a process for memorizing dialogue, you guys, there's, for me, there's nothing more boring than an actor talking about acting. I just got to go. <laughs> if any of the people listening are getting nauseated, I'm with you. But, um, you know. <laughs> Nothing worse than that. You're talking about the craft. <laughs> now, I, I, I do have a question. Which did you prefer? Do you prefer to do the television or did you prefer to do the movies? Um, you know, there's something about each of them that I like better. Okay. The thing with the movie is it's, it's a legacy. It's, you do a movie, whether it's a piece of crap or it's good, it's there forever. You know, and that's something really right. I mean, now that there's the Internet, television is kind of there forever, too. But when I started back in the day, there was no Internet. (laughs) But but television and and there's some amazing stuff on cable networks, Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime. Um, But but television is a lot more disposable. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you're turning out a product and basically, you know, you're, you're the fodder for selling commercials. Now, some of that fodder tends to be really, really good programming that, that, that is very important. But at the end of the day, you're creating television to sell uh, ad space. Yeah. yeah. When, right. when somebody makes the concerted effort to go drive to the theater, sit there for two hours in the dark and pay upwards of fifteen dollars. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a lot more of a, a concerted commitment. Yeah. Right. So I guess I guess I like. I like different mediums for different things. For me, I, I like theater the best. Okay. Uh, theater, theater gives mm-hmm. an actor the absolute greatest opportunity to do the best work. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Talk to us about your uh, martial arts background, man. Going into uh, Karate Kid. Uh, so, 
So this is going to be a kind of long-winded story, but it's probably going to answer a couple questions. Okay. There you go. Okay. A long-winded story. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> when, I was a, when I was a really young kid, um, I, I started doing some boxing in Youngstown, Ohio, and, and very wisely and very quickly, my parents realized that the, the kids that were boxing at this place were doing it to try and escape a, a, a really bad socioeconomic situation. And I, I definitely was like this, you know, privileged, wealthy white kid who was going to do that because I thought it was cool and I'd seen Rocky. So <laughs> my parents very quickly said, you know what, listen, there's a karate school in our town. Why don't you start doing that? I was like, I don't want to see karate. I want to box. So I started taking karate. I started excelling at it. I started competing in tournaments. And... Um, Long story short, it turned out that we joined another karate organization, and the head of that organization was Sensei Fumio Demura. And Master Demura was also Pat Morita's stunt double. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So I got to Los Angeles. I was I was trying to get my acting career going. I had done a couple small things, and Sensei Demura said, uh, "Sean, you know they're going to be hiring." the role of the new heavy, the new bad guy for Karate Kid 3. I know you want to be an actor. You should try and get an audition. And so they were going to do this big open call. But I found out who the casting director was, and I showed up at her office the day before, and I said, hi. I said, look, I'm a, I'm a real actor. I've got my SAG card. I've done some work. Can I audition here? And she said, no, you can't. Uh, and so I went to the open call. There were about 2,000 people in line. Uh, John Avelson, who won the Academy Award for Rocky and directed the other Karate Kid films, was walking uh, up the line of, of hopefuls. And uh, I knew I had a couple seconds to try and get this guy's attention. And he stopped in front of me, and I did a quick improv with him. And he said, uh, I believe it. And he set me inside the studio. And once I got inside the studio, there were about nine other guys that he had also chosen. And there was Ralph Macchio. They had created a set for him mm -hmm. to do uh, uh, um audition scenes with the actors entertainment tonight was there. I mean, it was literally like a three ring circus because it was a publicity stunt. They never thought that they were going to find, you know, one of the lead actors in a multi-million dollar, you know, uh, third installment of a successful, uh, uh, film franchise from an open call. Yeah. It was going to get. So they asked me to do a scene with Ralph Macchio. I did. They liked it. Um, and I, I, I thought I had a good shot at, at continuing up the food chain. Um, long story short, they wound up hiring somebody else, and I was absolutely devastated. What? The guy didn't work out. They hired him for a couple of days, uh, fired him. They called me back to the studio when I was driving down Sunset Boulevard. And, you know, we always say there's a funny thing when you're an actor, the Hollywood sign. Sometimes it winks at you, and sometimes it's smirks. And it was definitely winking at me that day. And I, I knew that they weren't bringing me back to the studio to, I knew it was going to be something good. I figured maybe they're going to bring me to be some henchman or something like that. And I met Robert Mark Kamen, who wrote all the Karate Kid films. He wrote all the Taken films. He's a big A-list writer. He's also a martial artist. He asked me to do a couple, you know, quick martial arts moves with him. He wanted to see what some of my technique looked like. And literally within 20 minutes, I was in wardrobe. They were like, you got the job, we're calling your agent, get in wardrobe. And it was just it was, it was surreal because, I mean, I have grown up as a paying customer for the first two Karate Kid films. Yeah. A year year before that, I was sitting in the audience watching Karate Kid 2. And more than that, when I was a little kid, I used to run home from school during lunch, and I'd watch Happy Days, and Pat Morita 
before he was Mr. Miyagi, he was Arnold from Happy uh, Days. Yeah. yeah. Doubly starstruck. <laughs> there I am. I get the job, and uh, we've been shooting about two weeks, and I, we broke for Christmas. And I wound up going to uh, Las Vegas with a friend, and I, I was having a lot of pain in my upper left thigh, which I attributed to doing all the martial arts. So I started taking handfuls of aspirin. Okay. Well, what had really happened was I had done a stunt that had nothing to do with karate. It was me kind of standing stationary, jumping on my side. And what they were going to do was marry that shot to a shot of me coming through the doors of the dojo. And Mr. Miyagi throws me through. Anyway, I perforated uh, my omentum, which is a, a sheath of skin, which protects your intestine. And I was bleeding internally. And the, the drip, drip, drip of the blood on my femoral artery was what was causing the pain. Oh, the aspirin is bleeding. I was in Las Vegas. I was at the the Dunes Casino. I'll never forget this. I had three one hundred dollar bills in my hand. I I looked at my friend and I went, "Then I'm going to pass out." Boom! I hit the ground. The EMTs came and they said, "We we have to get him to the hospital. He's dying. He's he's been bleeding for days and his blood pressure is almost non-existent." So they took me to the hospital, and uh, I, I remember they. They said, look, you know, we have to operate on you. And I said, okay, what, like Monday? And they said, no, no, in 15 minutes. And that was oh, Christmas man. Day. That was Christmas Day, 1989, I think. 89 or 90. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget. They, they had me sign a piece of paper basically saying that they couldn't guarantee they could save my life. And it was the most frightening thing that's ever happened to me at that point in my oh, young wow. life. I said, look, I'm strong. I'm in great shape. I'm doing a martial arts movie, and you're telling me I'm going to die. Um, they called my parents, my poor parents. They could only get one plane ticket. They had to fly out. Uh, one of them, my dad, flew out uh, to Las Vegas midnight. Uh, I, I woke up. Well, actually, before the before the doctor put me under, uh, I, I I said, "Tell me that you're good." And he said, "Don't worry, don't, don't worry." And I grabbed him. By his lapel, I pulled him down at me, and I said, tell me you're good. And he said, don't worry. I said, okay, look, whatever you do, here's me trying to tell this guy his job. I go, whatever you do, <laughs> abdominal muscles come from a family. <laughs> <laughs> that if they, if, they, if they cut my abdominal muscles, I was out of the movie. There was no way to heal in time to do it. But if they could resect him to find where I was bleeding, there was a shot that I could, I could heal up. Okay. So I come to the next day, got staples all up and down. I, I still to this day have a, about a 15-inch scar on my abdomen. Um, and uh, I get a phone call from the studio, from John Havelson. And, you know, John's passed away, so I, I, I can tell the story more accurately. <laughs> um, I, but there was no, hey, how you feeling, kid? We're really concerned. It was, you know, you need to be back at work in 10 days, or we're going to call Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, to take over. Oh, and so the next day I got out of bed. Wow. I got my feet on the floor and I was able to kind of stand up and go to the bathroom. And <clears> the <throat> day I was able to walk, walk around the hospital floor one time. And the day after that, I was able to walk around three or four times. And about four days later, against medical advice, I had them discharge me from the hospital. And so they said, okay, look, we've got just enough of you on film that we're going to, we're going to keep you in the movie, but we're going to have a stuntman do all of your martial arts and shoot close-ups of you. And this was really difficult for me because I'd studied martial arts for a long time. And I, you know, I was, I was, I was pretty good. And, um, 
you know, I'm watching this stunt man and I'm, I, I knew I should be the one doing it. So they assigned me to work out with a guy named Kyle Borland, who was a lineman for the Rams. Now, obviously, this is the Rams back in uh, before 1989, not the, the new L.A. Rams. Right. And same sort of deal. You know, first first day I was in the gym, it was excruciating. I could do a couple sit ups. I could, you know, I would lift little 10 pound dumbbells. And uh, within about a week and a half, I was doing hundreds of sit ups and I was. I was I was back in the film, and uh, you know I still had a, a, a injury that was not nearly healed, but I was like I'm, I'm doing this. And so, long story short, I was I did all my own stunts in the movie, every single one of them, with the exception of one stunt. If you remember, there's a scene with Mike Barnes and his uh, uh, <coughs> in a, a convertible Mustang, and they do a donut in the parking lot, and then go across train tracks just as the train went by and I was like, screw that. There's no way that I can take a hey, damn train. <laughs> a lot of people ask me, they say, you know, God, well, you know, that's terrible. I, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Not at all. Because, you know, when you're young, you think that you're immortal. And to learn at that young an age that, you know, your mortality is very fragile that in itself is a good lesson, but it also, it really told me or taught me that at least in that moment, it showed me some of what my character is. Mm -hmm. And it showed me that, you know, that when I have to be, I can be a fighter. And, you know, I, I, I earned being in that movie is my point. And yeah. a lot of people don't yeah. worry, yeah. but for me, you know, was it the best acting I ever did? No. Was it the best movie I ever did? No. But it's one of the things I'm the most proud of because I know what it took for me to wind up on the screen doing that. And, and also, it means a tremendous amount to me that, that it means so much to fans. You know, that it's a part of, it's a part of the American yeah. cinematic capital. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Rocky. I mean, you have these, these movies, these multi, multi chapter films that generationally, um, find new audiences. Now, especially, you know, with the, uh, uh, the advent of Cobra Kai, there's a whole new group of, of young kids that are being introduced to the original Karate Kid because we, we don't, we don't, God bless you, Jackie Chan, but Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan, that was not the Karate Kid. That was the Kung yeah. Fu Kid. Yeah. Um, hey, Jim, uh, you said you had a, a couple of, uh, fan questions out there, right? Yeah, let's, uh, let's go through these real quick. Um, so, one fan says, um, nice to hear from you. How did you feel um, when a soap opera ended abruptly like Sunset Beach? So Sunset Beach was a soap opera that Aaron Spelling uh, produced. And uh, I came on for what turned out to be the last six months of the show. Um, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that, but the show was really kind of on its way out once I came in. Uh, you know, when I look back on that, that was really um, – that was really just kind of like a job for me as opposed to something that was more of a career defining thing, but it was really terrific to work for Aaron Spelling. And I'll never forget this story. I was in Las Vegas with my dad. It's like I spent a lot of time in Vegas, but that's not really it. And we saw Aaron Spelling. Now, Mr. Spelling, who, who, whose show I was working on, I'd never met him. You know, obviously this is a, an enormous media titan who had many, many shows. Um, but I said, Dad, I'm going to go up and say hi to him. And I went up to him, and I said, Mr. Spelling, my name's Sean Cannon. And I said, you, you, you have me on one of your shows. 
and my dad came up and I introduced my father and I'll never forget what a class act this guy was. He, he looked at me, shook my hand, looked at my father and he said, you know, your son's a very good actor. And whether or not that's true, this guy did not have to say that, you know, mm -hmm. he, he right. really went an extra mile to make me feel good about myself and especially in front of my, my dad. And that's the only time I ever met Mr. Spelling, but that's kind of the, the, my takeaway from who he was as a person. And so for that reason, uh, I, I was very honored to have, have worked on Sunset Beach. I want to go back to, Co to uh, Karate Kid real quick. Sure. Have, you, have you watched any of the new Cobra Kai? I have, yeah. If they were to ask Mike Barnes to come back, do you think, would you come back? <laughs> uh, I would love to dust off the old Cobra Kai gi. Uh, you know, Billy Zapp is a buddy of mine. Marty Cove's a good buddy of mine. I'd love to work with those guys again. Should certainly work with Ralph. Um, you know, I, I, I've spoken intermittently with uh, the producers through social, and you know, I think they want to have everybody back who's part of the original canon of Karate Kid, mm -hmm. you know, whether or not and, and how they're able to integrate that into their, their concept for the show. Uh, you know, I've always wondered, okay, what happened to Mike Barnes? I mean, he was such a horrendous asshole. Did he wind <laughs> up tail and be Or maybe he went to the military and got straightened out, or my favorite one is, what if he went to, like, a commune, and he's like, Mr. Peace, Love, and Understanding, with thoughts uh, <laughs> and beads, and he's all zenned out. So I just think it'd be really fun to to kind of put a cap on what happened to that guy, because we certainly uh, don't know what became of him. But, yeah, sure, I'd love to do the show. If they brought him back, which version would you prefer to play? <laughs> what? I, I certainly would love to do, do some martial arts. And I mean, there's, that's that's one of the reasons to go back. So, uh, right. I like to see that, you know, maybe he uh, winds up, maybe he went into the military, special forces, and came out and uh, is is almost like the, the positive mirror version of John Kreese. You know, John Kreese was a special forces guy, right? And went down the dark path, and I, I think it'd be interesting if Mike Barnes actually somehow wound up aligning himself with uh, Daniel. That'd be I personally awesome. like the uh, peace love part because, <laughs> like, if you if you think about it, like uh, that show could use like a new Mr. Miyagi type character, and I think mm -hmm. because Mike Barnes was one of the most ruthless and uh, uncaring characters of the Karate right. Kid franchise, that that would be a humongous twist if he like somehow was sought out. Yeah. Uh, because of his involvement with Cobra Kai and like he ended up being like he just uh, escaped into his martial arts and uh, found like uh, a new found like uh, you can relate it to how like uh, like perspective of life changed for you in real life, like during Karate Kids. <laughs> you can kind of like take that and mix it with Mike Barnes and then become like a new Mr. Miyagi in the show. The, the producers, these guys are such terrific writers and they've got a really strong comedy bone. They did Harold and Kumar. Um, and, and the genius of Cobra Kai is they flipped it on its, its head that, you know, Daniel was the bully and Johnny was really the guy that was picked on. Right. So put anything past them. I think, look, I don't, for me, it, it wouldn't just be interesting to come back and play a one-dimensional thug. Uh, that's not something that I'd be interested in. Just to right. kind of, you know, stun cast dressing because they know the fans would be interested just to see me. I mean, I would, I would really want to be a part of something that was going to be an interesting character 
like something like, you know, what you just said, uh, would, would, would challenge me and also kind of challenge the history of, of, of the character itself. We'll see. We, that, I, I would watch it <laughs> in a heartbeat. We have another fan question. Um, coming from Diana, are you planning to come back to Bold and Beautiful in the future at any time? Well, I never say never. Um, I love working on The Bold and the Beautiful. It's, it's a tremendous show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, love the people on the show, and I love the character. So, sure, I would, I would absolutely be open to coming back to Bold and the Beautiful. Uh, um, but I'm also, you know, I'm also very busy with what I'm doing with Studio City right now. That's my, my pet project, my baby. Uh, you know, listen, I, Having been an actor for 30 years, I, I really just don't ever rule anything out. You know, my, my attitude is, uh, is we shall see. You know, so let me, let me, let me jump off. Let me jump off what you're doing now and the Karate Kid. Let me, let me embarrass you for a second. Oh, okay. This is, this is what I do. I make, yes, feel uncomfortable. And just remember, when I say this, I bruise easily and I can't go into high. <laughs> Okay. Just remember this: payback's a bitch. Oh yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I know. Okay, so I am personally a Revenge of the Nerds fan. Oh no! <laughs> and I remember in 1991, there was a pilot of a show, and I remember watching it. And you played. You kind of. You kind of took that. Uh, that popular character, uh, Todd Channing, into the show. Can you tell us what happened to this show, brother? Because um, I went it, back it, and watched that first it episode. Died a, it died a swift and righteous death. It was uh, <laughs> it was not the best um, homage to the original film. <laughs> um, but I have to tell you a good story that, that why every, every project I do is special for a certain reason. And for that reason, during the filming of that show, my girlfriend was Julie McCullough. So if you remember who Julie oh, McCullough is, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it, it kind of was worth it. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it, was, it was a lot of fun making it. Uh, unfortunately, we shot the pilot, and, you know, most, most pilots never get picked up. Uh, yeah. And it was uh, one of those. All right. Well, I'll, I'll let it go. That was so embarrassing. <laughs> but... Uh, it was it was really funny to go back and watch that episode because I remember I remember when it aired because it did air in uh, ninety one because uh, uh, me and Jim here we grew up on the Revenge of the Nerds movies. Wait, did they actually air it on TV? Yes, in nineteen ninety one it was aired. It was oh, only aired once. I can't remember what network it was on. Uh, if you go back, it's still. Oh, I, you can, trust me, I've seen it. Somebody sent it to me. I've yeah. <laughs> Uh, I can't remember what network is on, but the network. Uh, I did have to... hair in that pilot, though. I got to tell you, my hair was killing it. So was... <laughs> I had like the golden helmet, you know. So. And one more, one more thing is, uh, I, I find it it's it's funny because uh, so far our guests have all uh, all been uh, connected to the DC universe somehow. Can you okay. tell us uh, what it was like to be on Lois and Clark? Uh, as the football player Steve Law. Yeah, that was a really, really fun job. First of all, I, I was out one night in, uh, I was in like Studio City in Los Angeles, and I'll never forget, I was going to a, I was going to like an opening of a restaurant. It was kind of a, um, 
precedent. And I see Dean Kane and he's like, Sean, I got this part. I'm playing Superman. And I'm like, Dean, that's awesome. Because Dean was one of those guys that I would always audition against and see. And, you know, Smash Cut, I don't know if it was a year later or what it was. Uh, I was hired to be the guest star and play opposite him. And uh, it, it was really great. I mean, you know, you're, you're first of all, I, I'm Jewish and I, I called my parents up and I go, I got good news and I got bad news. My mom's like, what's the good news? I go, I got this really cool part. Just, what's the bad news? I said, I'm at Western Costume getting fitted for a Gestapo uniform right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was really spilled because when I when I showed up on the set, they had transformed the set to look like 1933 Germany, and it was really weird. There were swastikas everywhere. There were guys dressed as brown shirts walking around, and here I am wearing this black Gestapo uniform, and it, it just it was surreal, right? Yeah. Um, and that was only part of that episode, so I wasn't wearing it the whole time. And it was fun because I got to do like a German accent and then also do kind of the, the Texas twang accent when I was yeah. the football players. So it was it was a really fun experience. Um, uh, you know, it was great working with Dean. Dean's a great guy. Um, so yeah, real fun. That's awesome. Okay, we have another fan question. Let's let's go into Studio City. Sure, sure baby. My baby. <clears throat> the fan question is Studio City as <clears throat> Excuse me. Studio City is your baby, as in creating this show for Amazon. Can you tell us how how long you've been working on it? Yeah. So Studio City is something that uh, I've been working on for over a decade um, in different incarnations. It was originally supposed to be a 30 minute comedy uh, and ultimately it's become a short form digital series. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that I work on, I throw back in my desk, I, I pull out, I work on some more, and it really took um, the right series of circumstances occurred at the right time to, you know, find funding for it, uh, to attach one of my, my production partner and the show's director who did all the episodes is a friend of mine named Timothy Woodward Jr., terrific director. He's, he's really a film director. He's done like 15 films. And I had done two films with Tim. Uh, I had done Gangsterland with Jason Patrick and Jamie Lynn Sigler. And then I did uh, Beyond the Law with Steven Seagal and DMX. I'd worked on those uh, pictures with them. And uh, I went to talk to him. And, uh, you know, um, next thing I knew, we, we, you know, we had decided that we were going to move forward and, and do this project. And uh, it was finally getting made. And it was it was incredible. Um, it, it's it's come out much better than I think any of us uh, anticipated and could only have hoped for. Um, it's it's getting really terrific analytics as far as people watching it. Um, we are already discussing what we're going to do for a second season, whether we're going to take it to a different platform or, you know, will it stay at Amazon or will we take it to a different uh, format? And, and, you know, the, the idea is we'd like to lengthen it to a 30-minute show, yeah. which would mm-hmm. be two minutes. Um, it, it really is a dream come true. And, you know, here's the thing. I've worked in daytime since 1992. I have a wealth of experiences, heartbreaks, moments of victory, etc. from all of that. And I wanted to bring that. And I wanted to show daytime as it really is. You know, so often when you see daytime television soap operas, they're kind of like the butt of a joke. You know, you always see mm-hmm. actors in a show who are supposed to be on a soap opera doing like this hyperbolic, overly dramatic acting. And the fact of the matter is that some of the best actors I've ever worked with are in daytime. Now, the medium itself sometimes, you know, it, it lends it 
itself to that sort of melodramatic stuff because, you know, there's really, there's no action in the soap opera. It's really talk, talk, talk. Right. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to create a show that showed what it's like for a guy that is ostensibly a star in a soap opera and people look at him and go, Oh my God, you know, you've got the world by, you know, you've got the world by the, uh, I'm trying to, my mother's watching. I'm trying to say world by the ball. <laughs> by, the, by, by the storm. The thing I want to say, oh, you know, you're a guy that's on a soap opera and everyone knows who you are and you're presumably making money and blah, blah, blah. You got, you still got problems. And this is a guy that's got problems. He's got a younger girl. You know, he's dealing with getting older. He's no longer, my character, Sam Stevens is no longer the young heartthrob hunk. You know, and he's, he's in the middle of contract negotiations and they're playing hardball with him. So they bring on a younger, better looking version of, of, of him that he has to work with. He's got uh, a conniving, manipulative girlfriend who weasels her way onto the show without telling Sam and starting you know, takes up with a new guy. Uh, um, Sam's the guy that always thought that he wanted a bigger career. He always thought that he wanted to be a, an action star. And the producer says, Sam. You're just too damn old. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we, we one of the things I've always liked about soap operas is because we do uh, a show, a show and a half every day. Um, it means you've got to turn out a lot of product. Right. And it means that you've got to constantly be finding new stories. So soap operas will take stuff that's going on in the media in real time and integrate it into the show. And for that reason, soap operas are actually kind of they're they're very socially relevant and i wanted to do that with this show and we deal with you know hashtag me too we have an incredible lgbtq storyline we have got an actor on our show who's not only a phenomenal actor but he is the first trans actor to ever work in daytime dear friend of mine scott turner schofield uh nominated for a bunch of awards um we deal with uh suicide we deal with ageism uh you know there's all sorts of great issues we deal with on this show and the show sometimes it makes you laugh sometimes it makes you cry but i think you really get an idea of of what it's like being a guy on a soap and that yeah it's a really cool interesting job but it doesn't mean you don't still deal with all the crap that everybody deals with and sometimes you deal with stuff that's even a little a little more daunting let me tell you what's refreshing about this show because i watched it all this week and uh I actually watched it in all in one day um, oh. because even though it was a short, it was short episodes. They were like 10, 12 minutes each. Right. It, like each one focused on one theme at a time. So it wasn't like uh, mm-hmm. when we watch this, is, this is what I'm struggling with, with hour long shows today. It seems like there's a lot of the show that is just like filler. And then there's one thing that's going on. And then all the filler is just surrounding the one thing going on. And then it's like an hour long show. And then I'm, I get drained, you know, like after two shows. So, uh, but with these, uh, these, like, I I think this could really be good as a 30 minute episode because each one Mm -hmm. had like a different thing to me. Like the first one had like coming to grips with reality, uh, you know, like, uh, finding out you're a father, uh, you know, the transgender thing, that one was a powerful episode. Oh, Lord, Thank yeah. you. You guys want to So since, since you've kind of let the cat out of the bag there, the, um, the, the girl that plays my, uh, daughter on the show, or is she my daughter? Isn't she my daughter? That is my beautiful stepdaughter, uh, Juliet. That's my wife's daughter. Wow. Okay. And, and you know, she, 
has wanted to be an actor for a long time and done a few things. And I, I said, look, I said, uh, you know, I'm not giving you this part. You, you have to earn this. Um, I said, this is my baby. And I said, if you're not able to, you know, chop wood and carry water, there's no way I'm sticking you in this to be the weak link. And to her credit, she showed up at the studio and sat down with the director and auditioned for him and knocked it out of the park. And uh, I think she did a terrific job. Like, I couldn't be prouder of her. Well, I'm She's sorry for the spoiler, but there's so much more than that. Like, you know, I know, like, y'all are upset with me, spoiler alert. Yeah. No. As a spoiler. But there's so much more to this show. Like, I'll leave it at that. Like, each episode has a different theme that reaches out to different people in mm-hmm. different situations in their life. But all of it seems to be going on with one character. And like you said, like, this, this guy, like, you know, he lives so long. He's it, with this one uh, lifestyle. But then right. now everything comes like, you know, comes to light. So it was like, I, like, I personally want more. I didn't know. like mm-hmm. the, I, I don't know anything about soap operas, but I, I do have a question. Um, how hard is it in the show to separate the uh, the soap opera acting part from your normal self, being that you were a soap opera actor? And now you're bringing that to the this character. Well, very wisely, um, Tim, our director, who also was extremely involved with the editing process, wanted to give the show within a show, which is called Hearts on Fire. It's the number two soap opera in America. Uh, wanted to give that a very different look. So, you know, we do have some sort of subtle music that plays under it uh, that kind of lets you know that we're now in the soap opera. And then when we break out of the soap opera, there's sort of a very driving staccato um, uh, uh, instrumental that now lets us know we're back in the real world. But like I said, I wanted to make sure that the actors were really playing the scenes when they were on the soap opera as straight as possible. And, and I think, you know, yeah, we tweak it a little bit, but it's not, like I said, that hyperbolic acting that's over the top. It really is played pretty straight because I didn't want to make fun of it. Um, I wanted to, you know, make it like 95% realistic. And I think the actors all managed to do that. You're talking about wanting to see more of it. One of the things I really do like about doing this as a short form visual series is that we are, we are such a society, a soundbite society. You know, we like things that are very quick, very digestible. And, you know, now, you know, Gone are the days when you show up at eight o'clock at night and sit on the couch to go watch your show one time a week. Everyone wants to binge watch when they want and not only when they want on whatever device they want. And, you know, you can now literally watch the entire first season of uh, Studio City on your phone on the subway or you can pull out your iPad on your lunch hour mm-hmm. and knock out two two episodes. And And the challenge of that is when you're doing something that's short form digital like that. You know, how, how do I how do I introduce everybody to the characters, get them to care about the characters and tell compelling story within the parameters of this really small medium? And and again, I go back to I go back to our, uh, our director, Tim, uh, who was really critical in in being able to get all the story into this very small medium and get people connected uh, uh, to the uh, to the characters. You know, we have a terrific writing team, my wife. Uh, who just walked into the, the kitchen to get coffee is, is one of our uh, <laughs> writers and one of the producers, uh, uh, Lawrence Normandy, Tim, myself. Uh, and so, you know, 
I, I really think we, we, we kind of caught lightning in a bottle here, and, and I, I, I look forward to having hopefully a 30-minute format where we can tell more long-form story. Um, you know, I have, I have an idea of where I see this character going over the course of multiple years and where I think it winds up. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of really excited to get back into it. Obviously, everything ground to a halt with the coronavirus. Um, uh, you know, we, <laughs> nobody saw this coming. Everybody's lives have been turned upside down, but we are still moving forward and, and making plans for, for what's next. I have to say, break uh, the coronavirus in your future episodes. You know, that's something that's something we talked about. But it's interesting. Um, I vacillated on that. I I don't know, and I, I I'm I'm inclined to say that. Well, it may be mentioned. It's not going to be something that's integral. Um, partially because by the time the next season airs, it probably won't be for you know. Eight months, if I had to guess. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, this is something that has affected everybody and will continue to affect everybody at infinitum. But I think that people will be looking to move on, and and I think for our our purposes to entertain people and you know create our, our little world. I I don't know that we're we're going to do that. Although you know, like I said, you know, we have a writing team. Um, it, it, it is. Uh, collaborative. That's one of the things I like about this process is, is it's collaborative and I've got other people working with me that have extraordinary talents, some of which I don't have. And so I like to listen to what they have to say. So my inclination is no, but again, we should say. Yeah. My favorite line in the movie, I just want to say, is at the very beginning when you guys are having that big passionate scene and the guy walks in and says, have you seen my sunglasses? You had me right from that moment. Right from that moment, I'm like, "Yeah, this is brilliant. Yeah, this is brilliant." Thank you. You know, we wanted to strike that balance of of it being a drama, but still, you know, finding finding the moments that are funny. I mean, I, I think whatever you're doing in acting, it's imperative that you really try and find the humor in uh, in scenes. Well. Uh, uh, everyone out there uh, who's just not joining, we have Sean Kanan. Uh, he's uh, talking about his uh, new show on Amazon Prime. Go to Amazon Prime right now. Watch it. Uh, six episodes so far. Uh, working on more, right, Sean? Uh, Absolutely. After, this, uh, after all this uh, craziness uh, passes by, um, if you have uh, – was there any more questions on the board? Yeah, um, uh the uh, someone mentioned that you have a couple of books out there. Is that right? Look, I, I even happen to have one right in front. Of me. Oh, hey. hey, what can oh, you tell us about hey. that? So this is a book called Success Factor X. It's a book I put together with uh, Jill Lieberman, and we had this idea to go out to fifty exceptional individuals and ask them what their best advice about success is, what success means to them, and. <clears throat> We got an amazing response. Uh, everybody from Anthony Robbins and uh, Mark Cuban to um, Daryl McDaniels, founding member of Run DMC, uh, Olympic wow. gold medal baseball players, football players, actors. Um, and uh, you know what was really interesting is none of these people talk about success in financial terms, monetary uh, possessions, things like that. Most of them, they, they almost – 
everyone in a different way, talks about success uh, as defined by their ability to help other people achieve their success, to live their most authentic lives, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to, to, to bring happiness uh, and make the world kind of a better place. I know that sounds a little bit like, you know, beauty queen, but um, it's true. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're a guy like Mark Cuban and can literally buy anything on the planet that you want, at a certain point, that's not going to really bring you happiness. You know, what, 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 for me, truly, one of the things that I'm passionate about is, is, helping other people live their best lives. You know, I'm involved in mentoring and I, I try and do a lot of um, <clears throat> charitable work and things like that. And, and it's, it's true. It's, it's the old adage that it really does feel better to give than to get. And, um, uh, the book has, has had remarkable success. We were, uh, my wife's making silly faces at me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Book was named one of the twenty uh, one of the twenty most inspirational books of the last two decades by Book Authority, and nice. uh, became an Amazon new release bestseller uh, within about ten days of uh, of being released. And uh, you know, I, I'm really proud of it. Uh, it was an incredible experience uh, interacting with all of these people, people that I, I, I would have probably never otherwise um, met. And uh, I really encourage uh, anybody to get this, you know, especially especially now. I think people will really draw some inspiration from this. You can pick it up on Amazon, um, and it's uh, it's done like a, a beautiful kind of coffee table book with, you know, it's got you know beautiful pictures and a bio from all the people, and then they all wrote an organic submission. Uh, uh, you know, with what their, their advice, their thoughts about success. Some really interesting people. Most, most of the people in the book you're, you're going to know, but then there's some really cool people that you're not going to know that have amazing stories. And one I'll tell you about really quickly mm-hmm. is a buddy of mine. His name is Jay Dobbins. And Jay is an ex undercover ATF agent. And when you look at him, he looks like a hell's angel, scary looking guy. He is also a best selling author who wrote a book called No Angel. And okay. Jay, I'll just tell you a story really quickly. So uh, about his third day out of, I guess, the academy, he found himself in an undercover situation uh, trying to take down a drug dealer. Drug dealer gets in the car, shoots him, and he's he's facing dying. Attorneys ultimately say to him, Jay, you can write your own ticket. What do you want? He goes, I don't want anything. I want to get back out and do my job. Moving forward, Jay wound up going undercover as as an outlaw biker and took down a chapter of the Hell's Angels, and wow. he is wow. an absolute American hero. He's an interesting guy. Before he went into the ATF, he was a tremendous football player. So he went to the combine, right? You know, and and he he learned it about. He said ten minutes. He knew he wasn't going to make the NFL because the other t- two guys that were also running the drills next to him were so good. One of those guys was Jerry Rice. So, <laughs> oh wow! Academy. And uh, uh, Jay, Jay is somebody who has got such an extraordinary and out of left field life compared to people that are, say, celebrities, business people. But the advice that he has about success is so fascinating and so applicable that this is one of the things that you can you can pick up, you can open, you don't have to read it chronologically, and you can read it again and again. And it's, it's got some tremendous advice, and I would encourage everybody to get it. Nice. Yes, I just pinned it to our comments from Amazon. So if anybody wants a copy, just click on the link and get yourself a book. Absolutely. 
All right, so uh, that that's going to wrap it up for us. And for everyone out there uh, watching right now, this was uh, Sean Kanan, uh, who plays Sam Stevens in the Amazon Prime hit show, <laughs> hit, uh, uh, Studio City. Uh, Mike Barnes from Karate Kid 3 and uh, uh, a very uh, popular soap actor. Um, we look <laughs> forward to many more episodes on Amazon Prime. Pilot, uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds pilot. <laughs> Joke, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna play that on our uh, on our oh, Facebook oh. page, man. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much. It was it was really a pleasure. I felt like it was uh, sitting around uh, just shooting the breeze with a couple of buddies. So thank you. Uh, hope you guys and your family all stay safe. We will get through this together, and I look forward to seeing you on the other side. If if anybody wants to follow me on social, uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Kanan. And please tune in, uh, watch Studio City on Amazon Prime. We're building our audience, and it's got a really great heart. And um, if you got some uh, some opinions, I'd love to hear. Them. Absolutely. And buy his book. Yes. Back buy the book. Amazon Prime. All right, guys. Again, Sean, Send it in the we, comments. We really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Sean. All right. So, uh, everyone out there, uh, before we uh, sign off, um, we want to uh, plug our buddy's comic book shop, Starbase 1552 Comics. Um, uh, reach out to Judd Basil. His store will be opening uh, again on May 1st. Yes, but will. until then, uh, he is doing curbside pickup. Um, if you want to, if you are still um, observing stay at home, he is doing curbside pickup, but he's also shipping. Um, if you want to reach out to him um, about anything he's got, you can go to his website, uh, starbase1552comicstheshop.com. Um, look at his in co uh, collection, but when you do get back out, he's got an amazing store with a lot uh, to offer. If you are new to the collecting world, all you have to do is reach out to uh, Judd Basil, and he will introduce you to anything uh, that will get you started. And he's got the best prices. Uh, he does amazing auctions, so if he ever does live auctions, please join in. Um, and we have some future episodes, and I'm going to hand it over to Jim. Uh, yes, we're going to uh, we're going to be talking live with actor um, Eric Morris tomorrow, um, and so be sure to uh, like our page, follow our page, set up the alerts for our Facebook lives because we are going to be doing a lot more um, uh, lives coming up soon. Uh, we're all in this same situation, so uh, we're trying to follow along with this stay at home to help everybody get well and get back to normal. So. We're going to be doing a lot of these remote interviews, and we felt like bringing them to you live was going to be something special. So we're mm -hmm. really, really excited. Um, we please share as much as you can. Yes, please. Please share it uh, as much as you can. Be sure if you can join us at the times. I realize that you know some of you may be working during the times we go live, but um, if you can join us, please do. We'd love to have you, and we'd love to have you. Uh, texting your messages, and as much as we possibly can, we're going to feature them uh, in the show. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, please tune in. Follow our any social media. Uh, if, if you can join us live for any questions, we will ask any and all questions. And uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us. We want to thank uh, Sean Kanan so much for taking time 
uh, out of yes. his day to join us and talk uh, about his career mm-hmm. and his uh, uh, Studio City on Amazon Prime. It's a great show. Uh, definitely go watch it. It won't take up a lot of your time. Uh, like you said, they're only about 10 to 12 minute episodes. They're uh, uh, to get you from point A to point B. And uh, they are working on more as soon as we get back to normal. Um, and that's it from us. Uh, we are the Eclectic Don't forget, Collective, don't forget to check out his book. Oh, and Success Factor. Book. Yes. Yes, check out the book. All right, Matt. Oh, sorry, Matt. <laughs> I don't forgive you. I know, it's okay. <laughs> we are the I'm Eclectic Collective. To. I'm Matt. I'm Micah. I'm Jim. Love, peace, and grease.